As you are turning there, I want to ask you a question, a couple of questions. Do you ever wonder sometimes what it is we're doing here? Here in this room on Sunday mornings, week after week, doing the same things over and over again? Or have you wondered about the specific things that it is that we do when we're here? Maybe even wondering, are all these things necessary? Maybe you ask yourself that question when we're singing a song that you don't really like. Or when one of us is reading one of those really, really long chapters from our Bible reading. Is this necessary? Well, if some of you have never wondered, please don't be offended that I would even bring it up. But I bet more of us than maybe would admit to have, have wondered some things like that. So I want you to hold on to those thoughts and questions for just a moment. Last week, we didn't quite cover all of chapter 8. I got to everything but the last six verses. We looked at the conquest of Ai and all that happened there, but most of our English translations give us a new little heading right before verse 30. The ESV labels this, Joshua renews the covenant, and, it, and it's easy to just breeze past these six verses and miss their importance, I think. I, I was tempted to just sort of tack these on to the, to the end of last week's sermon, and well, they built an altar and they made a sacrifice, and, and that's that, but... I think we need to pay closer attention to that. These six verses really do interrupt what's going on in Joshua. Because since the start of the book, there's just been this progression. Things have just been clicking right along, event after event, battle after battle. But there's a big jump here. Because verse 29, at the end of last week's sermon, had us in Ai. After the conquest, the king of Ai had been killed and they heaped up stones over his ruins to serve as a memorial. And now in verse 30, it talks about an altar being built at Mount Ebal. And the reason that this should get our attention if we knew our geography or if we read commentaries who pointed out, out to us, thank you, um, Mount Ebal is roughly 20 miles from where we think Ai was. So in, in one verse, we're here. The very next verse, we're way over there. What's going on with that? Why this sudden jump in, in, in the narrative? And, and I think the sudden jump is there to get our attention. Hey, this is important, what's happening here. And I think that it really, really is. Because looking at how Joshua leads Israel in renewing their covenant, which in essence, y'all, is, is worship. That's what they're doing. It's, it's worship. And, and so I'm going to be using covenant renewal and worship probably interchangeably going back and forth this morning. But that's what it is. It, it, it's simply worship. And so if we look closely at what they're doing here in re technically renewing the covenant, it has a lot to say about our worship, about why it is that we're here, about why it is that we're doing the things that we do, and will help us answer a little bit of a, hey, is this really all necessary? 
question. All right, so if you're able, I'd like to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. It's just six verses this morning. It's a little bit easier. Joshua 8, verses 30 through 35, this is the Word of God. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man is wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native born with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. May God bless the reading and the teaching of his inspired, inerrant, infallible and authoritative word. Let's pray. For God, would you come this morning and would you help us understand the significance of these six little verses? What it was that you were calling your people to do there? What it is that you're calling us to do here? And even why our hearts might be reluctant to always do. Would you come with the working of your grace, powerfully through your spirit, we ask in the name of the Son, for his sake, amen. Please be seated. As we dig into these verses, it has quite a bit to show us about our worship. So you've got an outline in your worship folder this morning of four things that we see about our worship as we even look at how they renewed their covenant. Uh, we see the content, the consistency, the community, and the cost. I'm getting some feedback up here, if we could back that down just a hair. First, let's look at the content of our worship. Three, three things that their covenant renewal is made up of and that our worship also includes. And so you see those there in your outline, the first of which is sacrifice. And so let's look to verse 31. They were instructed, and this actually comes from Deuteronomy 27, these specific instructions that they're following, that they're carrying out right now. You need an altar of uncut stones upon which no man is wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offering. So we've got two different sacrifices here, the burnt offering and the peace, or some of your translations may even call it a fellowship offering, the same thing. And if you were in our adult Sunday school class last year as we worked our way through the book of Leviticus, you know we got into the nitty gritty of all these different sacrifices and offerings. And so the burnt offering is where the whole animal is, is burnt up and consumed on the altar. No parts left over. No part is, is used by the priest or, or anybody else. 
And so this was a sacrifice that had a pleasing aroma that went up to the Lord. And it represented atonement for the people's sins. That's the purpose of this one. And so certainly this type of an offering is appropriate on the heels of this fiasco that went on uh, at Jericho and then at, at Ai. But the spoil that was kept from Jericho illegally and hidden and then the defeat that happened because of it at Ai. Certainly this is an appropriate offering, an appropriate sacrifice when all of Israel had sinned. We've got the second one. We've got this peace or this fellowship offering. And in this offering, a portion is placed on the altar, but the remainder of it is used. It's used by the priest. It's used by the people that bring the sacrifice. And it's a great demonstration of fellowship, both with each other and also with God. If, if the burnt offering was about sin, this sacrifice is all about relationship. Especially relationship with God. And so this is a very fitting sacrifice as well. Because Israel's relationship with the Lord had greatly been affected by their sin and by what happened when they violated the covenant. Because that's really what Israel did. Israel violated the covenant. We saw real clearly that in, back in chapter 7. They violated the covenant and their relationship with the Lord had very much been affected. So that's why we're here in these verses. They needed to reaffirm the covenant. They needed refreshment. They needed confirmation. How very similar to what we experience and what we need week after week as we gather together. Because y'all, the struggle with sin is real. And we often fail. And our relationship with the Lord is affected. And so we need refreshment. We need confirmation. We need to have our covenant with the Lord, if you will, renewed. Reaffirming to the Lord, Lord, it is my desire to follow after you. By your grace, I do want to be faithful. I do want to be obedient. I do want to trust you. Now, obviously, we're no longer going to make sacrifices like they made them. Right? Thankfully, fortunately, we're not bringing a big bull in here and slaughtering it and burning it. Because our once for all sacrifice has already been sacrificed. There's nothing more that we could add to that. He has already done by His blood what the blood of bulls and goats could never do. So we've got no need to make sacrifices, but we do gather to recall the sacrifice that has been made. We do gather to be reminded of that sacrifice and to rejoice in that sacrifice. Y'all, our worship gatherings really ought to be a lot more joyful than they sometimes are. We've got something really, really big to celebrate. Really huge to rejoice over. The sacrifice that was made, what we'll especially remember today in part of our worship as we come again to the table. So, so in the content of our worship, this first point, the first thing that we see is sacrifice. The second thing we see, the second part of the content 
is God's word. Part of their covenant renewal and part of our worship is an intense focus on God's word, on his instruction, on what he said. Look at verse 32 and also verse 34. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he'd written. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. Y'all, if you ever thought that maybe our scripture readings are a bit long, Just saying. If there is to be reassurance, if there is to be refreshment, if there's to be covenant renewal, there must be a returning to God's word. Again and again and again. So likely what was written on the stones is, I'm guessing probably just a summary, maybe the Ten Commandments even. But then the whole thing from soup to nuts was read. Blessings and curses, and they needed reminding of both. They'd recently experienced both. Certainly they experienced God's curse for their covenant unfaithfulness with their defeated AI. But they were certainly no stranger to God's blessing and had just recently, even in the conquest of AI, another victory, another blessing from the Lord. Y'all, one of the reasons we need to return again and again and again to God's word is to be convinced of the fact that his deep desire is to bless you. Do you believe that? His deep desire is to bless you. Right now, there are curses there. There are consequences there. For when we don't follow his good and his wise and his loving instruction. But even those are just designed to bring us back around so that we can experience his blessing. Right? That's the whole reason that we're even in covenant with him in the first place. It's because he wants to bless us. Or else he wouldn't have entered into covenant with us. He wouldn't have said, I'm going to make you a people and I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to all the nations. Now, that's his deep desire is, is to bless us. And that's one of the reasons we need to return again and again to his word in the context of our worship. So we've got sacrifice. We've got his word. And this third thing that we see in the content of our worship is presence. Look at verse 33. All Israel, sojourner as well as native born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses. So you see we've got the ark here again. And we've, we've seen the ark before in Joshua. It's been mentioned before. It represents God's presence to his people. The ark itself, the little box, contains reminders of his faithfulness, right? So I loved it from Exodus for this morning and the rod well guess where Aaron's rod is it's in, it's in the ark a reminder of God's faithfulness there's a jar of manna in the ark to remind of his provision over and over again there's God's word in the ark the two stone tablets in the ark right? so I love how all this ties together all of these things are in the ark for a reason to remind God's people of his presence with them he's present 
He's present with his people. And now obviously for the Christian, God's presence has been taken to an entirely new level. That the Israelites probably couldn't have even fathomed if you had told them what it would be like. That that God would take on flesh and would become a man and would dwell with men and women. Much less the indwelling of his spirit when he returned to heaven that each believer in Christ has God's presence inside of them. That would have blown their minds. And so here's the content of what's going on in this covenant renewal. We've got sacrifice, we've got God's word, and we've got God's presence. Let's also briefly look at number two, the consistency. It was kind of the best C word I could come up with here. The consistency of, of worship. All right. So I mentioned this jump in the narrative. We're, all of a sudden we're going from AI 20 miles away to Mount Ebal. Well, it wasn't just happenstance. That was a very intentional move. Because the geography here of being in between Mount Ebal on one side and Mount Gerizim on the other, well, it just so happens that there's a, there's a city in between those two mountains. There's a place called Shechem, which maybe that rings a bell or two if you know your Old Testament. Right? We've, we've heard this place before. What is this place? Shechem. Well, look at Genesis 12. Very back to when God made the covenant with, with Abram. Okay. Hasn't even changed his name yet. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So there's been an altar in this vicinity before. We could also look further down in Genesis and see how Jacob came to the same place. And guess what he did? He built an altar, right? He worshipped there. And so there's a reason that this covenant renewal needed to take place here. 20 miles from where they happened to be. It needed to be here so that they could see and be reminded of the consistency of what God is doing. To be reminded of his faithfulness to his people. That he's been faithful to work out his plan for his people despite the passing of time. Despite his people's waywardness and unfaithfulness. Here God is still causing it all to unfold at the right time and the right way for his people in order to bless them. We're obviously not gathered together at Shechem today. We're here in Orangeburg. But the Lord is still doing the same type of thing. He's still working out his plan for his people that he's called to himself in order to bless them. And he's still promising to take us to the promised land. No? Right? Isn't that the promise that we're essentially here claiming? Is that he's prepared somewhere for us. This ain't it. But he's promised to take us there. 
He's consistent in what he's doing. He's con- there's a consistency in what he's calling us to do as we would think about the sacrifice and his word. As we would look at the content and the consistency. As we would also thirdly look at, at this sense of community that the covenant renewal creates, that, that our worship creates. Right? So who does this covenant renewal thing apply to? Who's involved here? Well, let's look at verse 33 again. And then we'll look at 35. Right? We see here, all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers. And, so it's the whole kit and caboodle. Look at verse 35 with me as well. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners. Y'all, everyone's included here. No one is left out because all stand in need of this covenant renewal. All stand in need of being reassured, confirmed. There's a common bond when we come to worship. The thing that we all walk through the door with in common is our need. It's our desperation. Right? No group is singled out here and said, oh, well, you can wait over here while the rest of us get our covenant renewed. No, everybody. Everybody. Not just those who were born Israelite. But even folks like maybe Rahab, who we've already seen, right? Ushered in, included in. This this strikes me, and this is a bit of an aside, but I do think that it's related. The public nature of what they did in this process, in this covenant renewal, it it was public. It was intended for God's people, But it was more than just God's people who saw it and who witnessed it, right? I'm I'm sure that the writing of the the law on the stones was visible to outsiders. I I bet that even the long reading of all the law could be heard by outsiders and would serve as a witness to them. So it is with our gathered worship. So it is with what we're doing here today today. Y'all, it's primarily for God, right? That's the number one reason that we're here is to worship him. He's worthy of our worship and our praise. I think a secondary reason that we're here is, is for us, right? It's for our benefit. It's for our good. He's blessing us and nourishing us and taking care of us even as we would gather to worship him. But there's even still a benefit for outsiders who would come, for visitors who would come, for non-Christians that we would invite. There's a benefit for them to come and to witness that, to witness our worship, to witness our being fed and nourished by our God. That's a great witness to the outsider. And so I think it's important that we think through this because... We don't want to turn our worship into something that's 100% geared toward the outsider, right? I don't think the primary purpose of our gathering here this morning is evangelistic in nature, right? That's what we're sent out to do. 
Okay? I don't think that's primarily what we are gathered here to do. And so I don't think that we need to gear what we're doing primarily toward the outsider, primarily toward the lost. Wouldn't be right. It's about the worship of our God and his care of his people. But, right, but that doesn't mean that we can't be mindful of their presence among us especially if some of us would more routinely invite our lost friends and neighbors and family to come to worship, to witness what it is that we're doing. Right? So we don't need to make it all about them, but we could be mindful of them when they're here with us. Maybe we could explain a bit better some of these weird things that we do while we're gathered together. Maybe so that it would make a little bit of sense just what it is that we're doing. Maybe we could, you know, watch the lingo that we use. We could do a better job of, of explaining things in a, in, a, in a common sort of way. Um, so I, I, just, I just think that looking at this and thinking about our worship, um, I think we could stand to give this some thought. Um, uh, just of being mindful of the lost when they're here with us because hopefully by their being here with us and witnessing our worship of our great God, and seeing how he cares for his people, that in and of itself is going to be a huge witness to them. A huge, powerful witness. All right, last thing for us to consider. So we've got content, consistency, community, and finally cost. For Joshua and for God's people to renew their covenant where they did was quite a costly endeavor. 20 miles might not mean much to us. We just, you know, hop in the wagon or the van or whatever it is and we're there in 30 minutes or less. Um, but for a whole nation, right, to move on foot 20 miles, that's a huge ordeal. It had to take a long time. And y'all, it just wasn't strategic at all, right? It didn't make any military sense whatsoever. It was quite risky traveling 20 miles further into the promised land in enemy territory, areas that have not yet been conquered, leaving themselves open to attack, y'all, we might not have incurred any risk gathering here today. Right? But our brothers and sisters around the world have incurred great risk, and some of them will lose their lives today at the cost of their worship of our God. It can be risky. It can be time-consuming, not to mention the fact that it was a huge interruption of what they were doing, right? They were on a mission. God had told them, go in and possess the land that I'm giving to you, right? And, and they've been doing it. And now what? Wait a minute. 20, 20 miles? Seriously? Do we have time for that? But at the end of the day, heeding God's word, being obedient to what was originally instructed back in Deuteronomy 27, heeding God's word is far more important than any good that we might think that we are doing otherwise. All right, even though they were busy possessing the land, taking it, conquering it, covenant obedience was for them priority. It came first. And, and so renewing the covenant was costly. Worship 
is very often costly, or at least it should be. It ought to cost us something. Time, interruption. But here's the thing. For many of us, if the cost is too great, eh, we're just not going to do it. See, we've got these other priorities. We've got these other things to do. Because, y'all, after all, the weekend is only two days. Right? If we commit to come worship, well, there goes half of one of those two days. And then what do we have left? Y'all, what if the Israelites in this moment had said, this is just far too inconvenient? Why don't we just wait until we get there anyway? We're heading in that direction anyway. Why don't we just conquer our way toward Shechem and when we get close, well, then we'll think about it. That'd make a lot more sense. Folks, is worship for you a priority? Even if it's a costly one. Do we heed the admonition of Hebrews 10 that that lots of us know to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together? Do we take that Seriously. Now, if worship is not for you, if it is not for us our number one priority, then what we do about that recognition is important. Because I don't want you to just say, oh, great, now I feel guilty. I guess I need to go to worship more often. This is not where try harder is going to fix it. Because if worship is not for us our number one priority, then our worship attendance and participation is just a symptom. It is not the root problem. The root problem would be deeper than that. And so I don't want you to feel guilty and say, oh, okay, I'm going to try to come to worship more. What I want you to do is ask a, a follow-up question of yourself. And say, self, what is it that I'm willing to go to great cost for? What is it that I'd rather be doing? What is it that I don't want to allow worship to interrupt me from doing? Because whenever you ask and answer a question like that, what you've done is you've identified an idol. You've identified something that's coming between you and the Lord as a a false god. You've identified something that you love more. That you're willing to sacrifice for rather than than him. And when you find that, that's the thing that you need to confess of and repent of. 
and that your worship attendance is just a symptom of. That's the thing that we need to take to the Lord and say, Lord, here's something that I love more than you. Lord, Lord, I love leisure more than I love you. I love spending time with family, as good as that is, more than you. Whatever it is, and you have to, it's, it's sports, it's, it's whatever. For me, you know what it is that I, that I struggle with so much? Thinking about the Lord's day, thinking about his worship, is the battle with my to-do list. And very often I love the sense of accomplishment that comes from being productive and marking things off my list. Because that makes me feel in control. That makes me feel accomplished. And I'm drawn there more than I'm drawn to the Lord. Right? So there's my idol. I love control. I love a sense of accomplishment more than I love the Lord. And so that's when we have to cry out and say, Lord, change me. Change my heart from the inside out. Help me to love you more than whatever it is that I've been loving in your place. And do you know what a huge part of his answer to that prayer would be? Worship. This right here. Covenant renewal. Coming back again and again to be reminded of the sacrifice. Hear God's word, to hear how his longing, his deep desire is to bless you, to be reminded of his faithfulness through your life. Rejoicing with your brothers and sisters over all of that, even in a costly way, would itself be part of the answer to that prayer of God, change me. Help me to love you more than I love these other things. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, as we look at our worship and the content and your consistency, your faithfulness, as we look at the community of neediness and desperation that it creates, and oh, God, as we look at the cost and as you, by your Spirit, would help us to be honest with you, about when we don't make worship a priority. Oh God, would you come and change our hearts? Would you come and show yourself to us as more beautiful than the pitiful excuses that we're putting and allowing to stand in your place in our hearts? Make us hungry for the table. Make us ready by the gift of your grace, giving us faith to believe that Christ is present. Make us ready to commune with our Lord. We pray in Christ's name and for his sake.